joining um, us today we are we've gathered a, a lovely group of advisors from the literacy team together to have a, a discussion about decodable readers now we get uh, we come across a lot of questions and a lot of things that people are wondering about and um, we thought we'd we'd tap into you know some of those um, those things that people are thinking by having a discussion amongst ourselves now I've got a, some advisors here from the literacy team I have Sarah Martin Hayley Millard, Martha Garvin, Megan Clark, and Vanessa Dimitrilis. And we're going to, um, to chat about decodables. Hopefully we're going to talk, you know, about what they are, what their purpose is, and how we use them. So I'm going to start with probably the most obvious question, but it is the obvious place to start. What are decodable readers? Martha, um, can I go to you for a for an explanation for us all, what is a decodable reader? Absolutely. Thanks, Shannon. So decodable readers are books that are specifically written for beginning readers. There's still a story with a beginning and a middle and end, but the words in these books have been really carefully selected so that students can practice the sounds that they're learning during explicit systematic phonics instruction. Decodable readers follow a sequence of letter-sound relationships or grapheme-phoneme relationships. And the point is that teachers explicitly teach these graphemes and phonemes, then give students immediate practice at blending these to make words. So basically, decodable readers are a tool for effective reading instruction for beginning readers, and they help students to learn the alphabetic code. And it may be good to look at some of the features of decodable texts. Hayley, did you want to have a chat to us about that. Yeah, thanks, Martha. I'll pick up there. That sounds good. Look, I think it's definitely worth noting the key features of um, the decodable text because if we can get a really good understanding of the decodable text and what makes up a good quality decodable text, then schools will be able to use that information to source their own resources going forward as well. But it also helps teachers to understand um, just why they're such a good tool for instruction and to support their synthetic phonics and their phonics sequences. Um, so what we're really looking for is the key features in a good decodable text is that around 80% of the words in those texts are actually decodable. Um, and that's to support students to uh, apply their phonic knowledge uh, in, in solving those words. Uh, the other thing that we look for, and this sort of supports fluent reading, um, is high frequency words. Sometimes these are known as sight words, but that really supports students to um, yeah, develop that skilled fluent reading. We also look for the fact that those phoneme grapheme uh, matches are clearly shown on those texts. And that's so that we can support schools to carefully select texts that support their individual phonic sequence within their school. We look for the fact that targeted um, phoneme graphing correspondences are also included in a multitude of ways in, in uh, a myriad of different words so that we can really see uh, whether or not the student is applying that phonic knowledge in a range of contexts. A teacher will be really able to see whether or not they've grasped that, that particular match. Uh, and then it comes down to 
how the text is actually made up itself. So we look for the fact that the text is continuous, that the text is well spaced, the text is adequately sized, and it's printed clearly across the page. Uh, and then the other thing that we look for, obviously, is that the punctuation is included throughout the text as well, because we know that's really important in the early years of reading. Uh, now, Little Learners Love Literacy and Decodables Australia, they were the two publishers that were successful through the Department of Education's procurement processes. Um, and they've been really quite clever. And what we liked about those was that there was, like you said, a simple narrative structure. And that means that as a teacher, I can sort of start to treat a little bit of the comprehension focuses that I might have. But it also means that they obviously support that uh, synthetic, uh, sorry, the systematic and sequential phonics sequence that might be in my school as well. Um, and while those two publishers were successful in the procurement processes, it should be noted that we actually do have uh, a range of publishers that schools can, uh, you know, source their decodable texts from, so long as we are uh, meeting those key requirements that we've just outlined. And those key features of a decodable text can be found on the decodables texts page on the department's website as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, Hayley, it's great that you actually mentioned books from different publishers and, and you know, different series of books um, because that gets me thinking about the differences in those sequences that, that some of those series can follow because I know that a query that um, has come our way and something that um, we've been we've been thinking through is, you know, wondering how you use or how you align those um, sequences of books um, to, to one another and how you could perhaps pull in a book from another series, from a different publisher uh, in, into, into your instruction and independent practice. Um, Megan, I'm wondering if you can um, contribute there about that. Yeah, more than happy to, Shannon. Thank you. And um, it's a really great opportunity to be able to sort of address, I guess, a lot of the questions that are really coming up about the use of scope and sequences um, and, you know, which ones and, and you know, how we approach that um, in our schools. But I guess one of the really important things is, um, is to note that we actually have a sample scope and sequence that's available on um, the uh, Learning Resources Hub. And our team developed that with Desley Conzer as a part of our effective reading um, phonics professional learning. So that's available there for schools to have a look at um, and, you know, use it as they see fit. But what we do know around scope and sequences is there are, there are a lot out there and some schools develop their own and some adopt them from other places and either is, is fine, really. I guess that the power of that scope and sequence is really about having one that's used across the whole school and it really forms that um, tier one structure um, for early stage one and stage one. What we do know really about our scope and sequences is they really need to start off with that single um, phoneme grapheme correspondence um, in order for students to be able to start to blend together um, VC and CVC words for reading. Um, the idea being that we teach those um, phoneme and grapheme correspondences in the service of blending. Um, which is our first reading strategy. And then what we also know is those scope and sequences really need to build from that simple code and move through into that extended code. 
So increasing in complexity in a systematic way. The idea being that we teach those phoneme grapheme correspondences explicitly, moving through the sequence um, as fast as we can, but as slow as we need to. Where decodables fit um, within this is the actual purpose. So we use them for reading instruction and they offer opportunities for students to practice those phoneme grapheme correspondences that they've been explicitly taught along, of course, with their high frequency words, as Hayley mentioned. Um, and we don't want to use texts that are beyond the student's reach. So we don't want um, the text that we're using for our reading instruction to contain phoneme and grapheme correspondences that we haven't actually explicitly taught our students. So just in the way that we've always done, I guess that key message is around text selection. So we've always looked really carefully at um, choosing texts for instruction um, to meet the need um, of students and to meet them at their point of need. So decodables are, are, are the same. We look really carefully at selecting the decodable texts that are going to best support our students and meet them at their point of need. So it doesn't really matter too much if it's a Decodable Readers Australia text or it's a Little Learners Love Literacy text. Um, it doesn't really matter what series we use so long as what's contained within the text actually meets the student's need. So we, we're looking for opportunities for students to practice what they've been explicitly taught um, in the service of reading and opportunities for them to be able to blend those phoneme and grapheme correspondences together to ensure that they're building that fluency um, in their reading. Mm, thanks, Megan. That's interesting to hear that we, you know, we can use those books um, from different publishers and we can incorporate um, the books from a different series as long as we have first looked at the book and, and done that careful, you know, careful thinking, um, that text selection to decide is this book the right um, book for what this student um, has been learning and is now learning and practicing at this point in time? You know, it's all about is this at the right level of complexity for that for that student and what they're what they're learning. So that then makes me uh, move move on to. So we've talked about using and incorporating the different decodable books. Are we only using decodable text? And I know that's something that um, people have wanted uh, to hear advice about um, from our team. So, Vanessa, I, I know we've had a recent discussion on this. So I thought you uh, you might like to sort of shed your thoughts on that one. Are we only using decodable texts? Great. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah, we did have a, a bit of in-depth conversation about this the other day about do we only use decodable text? And I think... Um, you know, um, Martha and Hayley and Megan have done a great job so far about talking about the role of decodable texts. What are they and how the decodable texts were chosen for our schools, but also um, that really um, important aspect of how a teacher goes around the choice of decodables or texts within the classroom by Megan there. And I think it's so important that um, in the classrooms at the, as um we're um, experiencing at the moment is we've got that lovely explicit teaching of the phoneme and grapheme mapping and to confirm those skills in students we're using decodable text to confirm what they've learnt within the explicit teaching but also to that individual adaptation and use because that's what it's about it's about learning the phoneme grapheme match 
for the our early readers to be able to then use independently on text because that's the starting point for students to continue to read further. Um, when we're saying that, as we're all aware, um, phonics is a constrained skill. So um, as Megan was saying, as fast as you can, as slow as you need, but the point is we need to develop these skills quickly and reinforce the learning through decodables so we can give students the access and the adaptability to expand into other texts, to expand into other text types. Um, in saying that, I'll, I'll go just backtrack a little bit, if that's okay, in terms of thinking about when we are um, confirming with students about their knowledge about the phoneme and grapheme match and students are accessing decodable text in the classroom, they're still hearing quality text read by the classroom teacher that rich experiences we can give them in the classroom that they're hearing, engaging with and using possibly some of the language of um, those lovely quality texts that the teacher's using. So um, being supported in the classroom while we're helping these beginning readers to make those lovely, nice, tight connections with the phoneme and graphemes. But as soon as we've confirmed as a teacher um, that the students hold and control these skills really, really well, um, we can move the, a student on from decodables into the other um, text types too. So we're looking at um, predictable text as well as um, controlled text. So um, there's three points I'd actually like to highlight with um, this about do we only use decodables? And it, it's something that I like to think about in, in my mind is that one, we're doing explicit teaching of phonics instruction and it's outlined in the news um, cater to syllabus the importance of this and it's an important part of learning to read. Students need to make that mapping from the sound to the grapheme on the page and being able to make those connections to blend but also the variability within that, the adaptability of I've learnt the app blend so what happens when I put a cut in front of it or I put a in front of it or if I change the ending on it. So bringing that together in a meaningful way. Um, that beginning reading needs to support students to develop the skills to read and write. And um, we're always giving them access to something that's easy. So confirming the skill of what they've just been taught in the classroom at an easily applied independent level. Um, I have concerns about giving students different texts if they haven't been chosen successfully to support the learning that's just been happened in the classroom but also if it's too hard to access without having um, the skills behind being able to decode words on page and access to the language it's going to almost make our struggling readers even um, struggle harder we want to make things easy for them to um, commence reading with and then most importantly of all, reading practice is important. <laughs> so we've got to get um, students in and reading different types of texts, especially as teachers we've confirmed that our students have strength, skills and knowledge in the mapping um, between the phoneme and the grapheme to successfully read a variety of books and adapt and be flexible in their knowledge. So overall, our aim is always to have successful um, readers in the classroom and students that are engaged and interested in reading. So um, we do use decodable texts at point in time, but um, beyond that, when we've got confirmation, our students um, are um, successfully adapting the skills they've learnt, of course, we're going to give them access to other text types and other books. 
Yeah, thank, thanks, um, Vanessa. Uh, it, it really is important to, to, to stress that message, isn't it, about um, that the decodable texts are the most effective text to use for that initial instruction and for that independent practice. Um, I think, you know, that, that it's really nice to hear, though, that message about how you know, when a student is is ready and, and we might know that because it, it's when their word recognition has has almost caught up with their language comprehension skills, when that's happening that we would then perhaps introduce, uh, you know, some, some different types of texts. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's important to know that, you know, when it's appropriate to, to do that. Um, I guess that makes me uh, want to ask you then, what, what's your thoughts about, you know, do we throw away the books that we were using perhaps in that initial instruction or, you know, that we were using, for example, our predictable readers or our level readers? Would we ever be telling anybody to do that? <laughs> No, not at all. Um, I was um, reading something by um, Timothy Shanahan the other day saying the idea about giving students a diet of books to read and I, I think that's really, really important. As I was saying before, it's about interest and engagement and students wanting to read. I think because um, I have heard of some schools saying we're using decatables and not using other texts, like I think we've um, clearly outlined so far, decatable texts are used at point in time to help in confirming students how to go about decading and making that phoneme grapheme match. But once our students have developed those skills, we move them on to different text types. Like we're saying that flexibility um, and adaptability to be able to read different types of text. Thanks, Vanessa. It sounds really clear that the place for decodables is for that early reading instruction and practice. And once it's in their control and that word recognition is, is, is caught up, then then we uh, then we can introduce these these other texts. And we're not throwing away those other texts because even you know that we're we're waiting until they're they're ready for those those texts. And um, you know, there's other purposes perhaps for for those those texts as well um, beyond beyond reading instruction, early reading instruction. So if it's clear that those are the books that we're using for early instruction and, and practice, does that then mean that it's there, um, those decodable books are only being used for kindergarten or for those early readers, sort of kindergarten, year one, um, Sarah, I know that you've you've had some thoughts on this. Would you like to um, join in there and and share? <laughs> Absolutely, Shannon, and I'm so glad you, glad that you asked because we will always have a small percentage of students who experience difficulty with learning um, to read and mastering of that alphabetic code, and whether that's due to challenges with phonological memory phonological processing, rapid naming or other reasons which could be related to attendance and engagement, we know that those students exist. They exist in the lower primary, the upper primary, high school and in the workforce. Teaching those older students to read when they can see that their cohort are reading, spelling and writing independently comes with a really unique set of challenges. 
So the high-low collection of texts that are available, and by high-low, I mean high engagement and low-level texts, they aim to help teachers and learners overcome some of those challenges with interesting, age-appropriate stories that really appeal to and create that response, particularly in a mature reader. And there are many high-low decodables available now and many have sophisticated, edgy and thought-provoking themes to elicit that discussion from students, all the while building on their phonics knowledge as students move through. And that's what our vulnerable students really need, that engaging content combined with known letters and sounds that are in line with those taught sequences in the classroom. And some of those uh, high-low texts include the TAP series, Teens and Adults Phonics Titles. Um, and some of those titles are things like Kid Mum and On the Run. And there's an app to go with those books if that's what's preferable or more easily accessed. Um, however, they may not be appropriate for some of our younger primary students, but definitely eye-catching for our adolescents, particularly when those students are so used to sourcing texts online that are really in their face and engaging. We really want to try and mirror that in the texts um, that they read that are accessible. Another example um, is the Dangerous Games books from Blake Education, and they're written for students who are still mastering the alphabetic code and at those early years of decoding, but of interest to the upper primary and high school students. And they have a wonderful um, other high-low fiction and non-fiction collection, which can be a nice step in between decodable books and mainstream books. And further to what Vanessa was saying, variety really is the key because for older students who have failed, um, it's going to take a lot of convincing to get back in and have a go at another text, particularly if they're seen as boring. So really um, thinking about those uh, special interests and themes that are relevant to those students who are having difficulties with reading. So in answer to your question, Shannon, yes, there is absolutely a place for decodables beyond the early years. And I'm really excited about what's out there now. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you, you've uh, given me some um, uh, ideas. There are some books to go and look up. I, I hadn't heard of all of those um, those uh, titles before. So I'm, I'll be going and having a look at some of those now, Sarah. So thank you. Um, and it is it is important to note that, you know, at any time that someone needs that um, that instruction and that practice that um, that we can use those decodable books and that there are um, a range of options out there. Please visit the New South Wales DOE Literacy and Numeracy website where you will find a range of resources and information including professional learning, um, access to our reading guides and reading resources um, via the Learning Resource Hub and um, access to our statewide staff room. As always, if you have any questions, you can contact us at literacy.numeracy at det.nsw.edu.au. 
Okay, this has been Shannon Salvestro together with the literacy team and that's goodbye for now. Thank you.